We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to the Pack a Day Podcast, everybody. My name is Tyler Grosigorik, and I'm incredibly happy to be joined today by Gage Bridgeford. Bridgeford, excuse me. Um, and we are going to be going over some fantasy stuff today. Um, hopefully, that is your cup of tea or coffee, whatever you prefer. But before we do that. Um, I just want to welcome you again into episode 768 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. It's crazy to think that we are on that number of an episode. Um, Gage, how, how are you doing? You know, Packer, Packers thoughts, Packers feelings, sports thoughts, feelings, COVID. How, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm enjoying the day off. Uh, ha- in terms of Packers thoughts, I mean, outside of the constant Jordan Love slander, Packers Twitter seems to be pretty positive as of late i think that that's um generally because of the fact that uh we've just been without sports for so long everyone's just like i'll take whatever i can get like you could like aaron Rodgers could throw 700 picks in practice and everybody would be like that's okay it's okay it's just practice so i'm liking that i'm seeing positive like feedback on twitter for the most part um so so it's going pretty well for me keeping busy uh yeah i remember uh, yesterday when you said, what what are we going to do as a topic? And I was like, well, Tyler and I are both fantasy guys. We're the only ones doing this podcast today. So let's go ahead and let's do something fantasy related. Certainly. And if you have been listening to the pack, the Pack-A-Day podcast since this last July 4th, um, I actually did a very in-depth breakdown with Mike Wendland 
on that July 4th episode, episode 711. So if you want to reference that episode, you can. Um, we go line item by line item in that one, so much more in depth than what we're going to do today. However, this uh, podcast today is going to be much more of a discourse regarding possible outcomes um, for the for the 2020 season. Um, we're we're going to go over Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, the, the backfield, the defense, the kicker. We're going to give you the whole caboodle in terms of fantasy, so... Uh, I'm pretty excited to talk about to talk about fantasy. We really are in the heart of redraft season um, coming into this weekend. So if you're listening to this uh, on its release day, that would be Sunday, probably one of the most popular days to do redrafts uh, the week before uh, the rosters are finalized. So um, without further ado, let's get into our first topic for the actual day. You mentioned Jordan Love. Um, so this isn't going to necessarily be fantasy related. However, uh, we did want to talk a little bit about the Jordan Love slander. Um, <laughs> in just in just the the grain of salt with which it should be taken. Um, you know, I think that we we as fans like to get results quickly. However, when you have a guy like Jordan Love, who his entire evaluation was based off of a projection, a two to three year projection. I I understand the concern because he's missing some things that you're probably not supposed to miss as an NFL quarterback, but you know what? He's a rookie. He had very limited uh, resources, we'll call them, in terms of what rookies regularly get, which is already not a lot in terms of development. Uh, this past offseason, he just didn't have, you know, no rookies have had the best best opportunity really given to them to, to really succeed this year. Uh, so, you know, considering he's in camp, uh, Matt LaFleur's not worried. If LaFleur's not worried, he's probably not going to tell us. But at the same time, if LaFleur's not worried or, or really high, highly criticizing love, then I don't think we have much to worry about. Everything is based on a projection, so I think we just need to cool it a little bit. What are your thoughts there? Uh, for love, he's he's behind the eight ball from the standpoint of – his draft pick was already controversial. Like I know when I when that pick was announced, I was on a Zoom call with my friends. When that pick was announced, I put my headphones down. I had to walk off and I had to take a minute because I understand the window that we have with Rogers and the window is still open. And I felt that trading up and picking Love was kind of punting on the remaining window. But I also understood that it's looking towards the future. If Love is able to reach his ceiling or at least scratch his ceiling. They they have a fifteen another fifteen plus year starter waiting in the wings. He doesn't have to be ready to start week one. He was expected to have some like like struggle. This is his third offensive system in three seasons. In his last year at Utah State, like if his if he had come out come out the year before, like if he was able to come out the year before, he probably would have been picked even higher in the first round because he had had such a good year. But last year, he struggled, uh, had a lot of turnovers, and it was in the first year with a new system. Uh, all of his receivers were different, and that's continuing again. All of the pass catchers he's throwing to are different. All of the scheme and everything he's doing is different. Don't expect him to be Aaron Rodgers from day one. Aaron Rodgers wasn't even Aaron Rodgers in, the, in his rookie camp. Just give him some time. Now, next, now, if next offseason we're seeing the same rust or in two offseasons if we're seeing the same issues, I'm going to start to get concerned. But for right now, like, like Tyler said, take it with a grain of salt, take a deep breath. It's, it's going to be okay. Just relax. It, just give him a chance. 
this guy when he's on, he's a pretty he can be a really special player, and I'm excited to see where he develops and if he can turn into what I think he can be. Green Bay is getting ready to experience one of the most dominant runs of continuous good quarterback play that the NFL has ever seen. I completely agree, and I was talking to some of my my buddies about Jordan Love, and they're Packers fans, and they don't they're not like writers or anything like that. So they're just, they're the typical Packers fans, you know, it's the people going about their daily lives and. Um, you know, I was talking about how Jordan Love has really fallen into the absolute best possible situation that he can have for him to develop. You know, a guy with a super talented uh, arm, a super super talent as a quarterback in general. Um, but honestly, his biggest problem is ball security and decision making. And so, what do you do? You take him, you put him into a situation where not only does he have the ability to learn between behind, excuse me, a Hall of Fame quarterback but a Hall of Fame quarterback that will be known as the safest quarterback in the entire NFL, in the history of the NFL. So it's going to be, if, if Jordan Love isn't going to succeed in Green Bay, he's not going to succeed anywhere. That's what I believe. And so, wet, like, like, like we were just talking about, like, let's take a deep breath, let things, you know, let things do their course, and then kind of go from there. If, if there's no progression by, by next offseason, then we can start to talk about maybe being concerned a little bit. But... Honestly, the biggest problem right now is he's missing throws into the net. So that's really what we're talking about here. And in regards to the situation, I talked to um, Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network uh, the night or two after the draft. And uh, if you guys don't follow him already and you pay attention to the draft at all, you absolutely need to. Guy's one of the one of the best draft analysts in the community, in my opinion. Um, but I talked to him the night after the like the night or two after the draft, and they had said that. Love needed to go to a situation where he could grow and develop and he wouldn't be pressed to start right away. Like Tua, Tua's going to be pressed to start right away. Joe Burrow, going to be pressed to start right away. Justin Herbert's going to be in a battle with Tyrod Taylor to start right away. Jordan Love has is on no timeline. There is a two- to three-year window where he is not going to be expected to start at all. He's going to be expected to sit on the bench and learn and wait. And Kyle said that this is the best situation he could have ended up in. There's no, like, maybe Tampa Bay would be an interesting scenario with Brady having two years on his deal, but there was no one else. Like, New Orleans, maybe a year or two ago, it'd be a different story because you'd have, like, a year or two left of Drew Brees. But with Drew Brees having only one year left and he's done, Aaron Rodgers is the best situation he could end up in, and I can't wait to see just why I want him to develop slowly. I don't... I don't want to see him on the field for the next two years unless it's in a blowout. Um, so I'm I'm okay with him struggling for now. That's just it's what's going to happen. So I love I love the pick. It's just going to take time. If if he misses a throw here or there in practice, that's okay. Aaron Rodgers doesn't hit 100 percent of throws in practice either. No, but he does seem to make those difficult drills look easy. So uh, it seems to put a shroud of. Uh doubt around the other quarterbacks in the room, which is not necessarily fair to them, but just the way it is. But with that being said, let's move on to actual QB1 here, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, what are your fantasy out- What is your fantasy outlook for him this year? There's a lot of talk about him maybe having a resurgence this year. You know, he uh, the last time he was left outside the top 10 of the NFL uh, top 100 players list, he went on to have an MVP season. Um, and then, you know, recently he said that he had watched his 2010 film, um, so his MVP season, and he found something, and apparently has made a difference. You know, not only has he said that, but the beat the beat writers have said that as well. So, what is your outlook? What is your ceiling for Aaron Rodgers this year? Ceiling's QB one. All right. So to clarify for the 
for the listeners, if you're not fan, if you're not familiar with fantasy jargon, uh, QB one indicates finishing in the top twelve of the position. So he. Oh, I'm saying his his ceiling is QB one, QB one overall. That is his okay. absolute ceiling. Well, there we go. I think that's his ceiling because he is that talented of a player. We have seen moments like against the Raiders last year. That was we saw that the brilliance is still there. The ability to make throws that other people can't make is still there. Like that throw to Aaron Jones in the end zone was just it. It was in a place where only Jones could get it. Jones had to fall just the right way, and it was perfect. The ability for him to make those throws is still there, and that's why I think that his absolute ceiling is QB1. I think his floor is as a QB1, as a top-12 player at the position. I think that he throws the ball enough. I think that he takes care of the ball really well, which is really important. Um, like, obviously, you talked about how he's one of the safest quarterbacks ever, and he's safe, but he's also really good at taking calculated risks. Like, he'll only – like, he'll throw a ball where people are like, oh, you shouldn't have thrown it, but – only his guy could get it. If his guy can't get it, it becomes an incompletion. Like the uh, the Jamal Williams Chiefs one. That that ball was only to where Jamal could get it. And if Jamal didn't catch it, it wasn't going to be picked off. It was going to be just going incomplete. And I think that he can still make all of those plays, and I have no doubts about that. And I've seen the same things you've seen, where he said he saw his 2010 film and he saw something, and he's trying to go back to that. And I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. But if it can make him look even a shred like that 2011 Rodgers, how can you not say that his absolute ceiling is the best quarterback in football? Like I understand Lamar Jackson's got the running ability, which is outstanding. Mahomes is surrounded by 4-4 speed everywhere. But Rodgers has the ability to make everybody around him better. Every wide receiver he's ever played with has been at their best in Green Bay, and they get worse when they leave because it's just what happens. So – I think his absolute ceiling is QB1. I have him projected, I think, like QB7 or QB8. Just I think that there's some guys ahead of him that can either A, run more, or B, they're just going to throw more. Like, I think Dallas, I think Dak's going to throw 650 times this year. It's going to be stupid, but good for him. Um, so I think Rodgers' QB7, QB8 is roughly where I have him projected, but I think his absolute ceiling is the number one quarterback in football. Well, it's, it's interesting to see uh, QB7 or 8 because I have him slated as QB11. Um, he is coming in as a QB1 on the year, so that would mean he's a starting quarterback in most fantasy leagues. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think the real question that we need to answer is, what is the offense going to look like? What is Lafleur's actual goal? I mean, we know that he wants to create the illusion of complexity and that he wants to most, most likely wants to run the football. But at the same time, when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback, and a quarterback that is as talented as Aaron Rodgers, you're going to want to throw the football. You're going to want, you're going to be tempted to throw the football. You know, I, this is going to be a, an odd comparison, but I recently played a Madden game with the Packers, right? And, uh, it's the new one, Madden 21. Uh, I was playing with the Packers, Aaron Rodgers. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in this game and try and play like the actual Packers would. I'm going to run the football, try and get a 50-50 split, run pass. I started playing with Aaron Rodgers, and he was making ridiculous throws. Next thing you know, my run-pass split is 80-20. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what happens when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback. I feel like exactly what LaFleur is going to do, if Rodgers has come back stronger than ever, and he's come back, and he's really found something that really is going to revert him back, that 2020, that 2010 excuse me, MVP season, then... You know, why not throw the ball? Why not let it rip? Uh, you know, and then when you get into December, you start chugging it, you know, tr- or giving the ball to A.J. Dillon and letting him kind of run down the throats of the defenses. But uh, it's going to be completely up to LaFleur. I do think that he could finish as a top 
five quarterback in fantasy this year. I don't think it can be QB one because Patrick Mahomes. If it's if it's not Lamar Jackson, it's gonna be Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he outscores Patrick Mahomes. Um, but you know he can he could be out to Sean Watson, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray. Those guys can can really certainly fall down um, and 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 be below Aaron Rodgers in terms of uh, end of season production. So uh, I, I think his ceiling is, is very high, and I, I do think he's a good back end QB one option for most for most uh, teams this this year. So um, I mean, any other final notes on Aaron Rodgers before we move on? Uh, no, I think that we pretty much covered it. Um, so if, you know, if you guys have any questions about, uh, my ranking specifically, they will be out on Game on Wisconsin next week. Uh, myself and Kevin Tompkins will be putting out our rankings there. Um, and I'm also very happy to talk about them on Twitter. So, uh, let's see here. Let's move on to wide receivers. Uh, wide receivers, Devontae Adams is 100% the leader in the clubhouse. Um, <laughs> I'm actually dreading talking about this just a little bit because we were talking off, offline and I guess I have something that's a little bit hot takey. But uh, yeah, yeah, you do. It's not okay. You know, I'll just let you go first. You can you can go ahead and gush about Adams real quick. Okay, Devontae Adams is going to be the number one target getter on the Packers this year. Um, last year, he was. Uh, if you take out, like, if you just look at him from a pure points per game perspective, he was a wide receiver one. He, I think he was on. I think he was like wide receiver six or seven or something like that. Like if you take out Antonio Brown's one fluke week, he was I think what like wide receiver six or seven. Um, he's going to just be a ball hog. Uh, we saw when in the playoffs when 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 he's in the lineup and Rodgers needs someone to go to, that's who he's going to. That's his guy. Adams is his guy, and Lazard and. MBS, and we'll get to those guys in a minute, but right now, Devontae Adams is the guy, and he's just going to be, from a pure volume perspective, and in fantasy, volume is king, especially in PPR formats, which if you're playing in standard, that's fine. Rod Adams catches a lot of touchdowns, but PPR is king, and it's taken over, and that's where I think that Adams, is, his value is really going to shine. Like Even if he doesn't put up 1,500 yards like some of the other, like Julio Jones and some of the other guys in the league, he's just going to get so many targets that he, it's going to be impossible for him to not be a wide receiver one as long as he's healthy all year. All right. And so then this is where I come in with my, I guess, semi-hot take. I, you know, I built out a statistical projection model where Devonta Adams actually ended up being my 13th best wide receiver for fantasy this year uh, when – when you factor in the things that I just talked about with Aaron Rodgers, um, do the Packers want to run the ball more? I believe so. Okay, so that automatically is going to take away some of the targets from Devontae Adams. Can they drop him down the list? Um, and then I want to preface this entire uh, next conversation with the fact that I have about 12 to 13 guys here who are about a couple points off of each other. They're all really, really close, and it's really one big second tier. And Devontae Adams is leading the second tier, but at the same time, he it, it, once once I go back and make my manual adjustments, he's leading the second tier. But basically, I, I do believe his his targets are going to go down this year, and not because he's going to be hurt or anything like that. I just think that there's going to be a natural lack of passing in the offense this year. Uh, it's going to be more run heavy, and they're going to get guys like Aaron Jones involved in the passing game. I do believe uh, the reason that Aaron Rodgers is targeting 
Devontae Adams so much is not only because he's his wide receiver one, but because he couldn't trust anybody else. So maybe a second year working with some of these guys, he can develop some trust in these other wide receivers. And, you know, when you have guys like like Jimmy Graham out there, I can't blame Aaron Rodgers for looking to Devontae Adams more, more often than not. Um, and then at the same time, uh, the touchdowns. You mentioned the touchdowns. That's normally his saving grace. And the reason I think that he could kind of underperform this year just a little bit from what he's being expected to do is I don't know if he gets the red zone work that he's gotten in the past. You know, when you add guys, uh, I initially I had made this projection with Funch just being on the roster and being a part of it. And so maybe I needed to go back and kind of remove him and adjust for that. But at the same time, you know, Jay Sternberger's coming in this year. is coming in this year. Dylan's coming in this year. All three of those guys could eat into his red zone production. Uh, and so I, I do think we see a drop in his touchdown numbers this year. I, he's still a great option in fantasy. He's still a top 10 wide receiver, in my opinion. Um, I think that you can lock him in as a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. I just think that we need to temper the expectations just a little bit. Um, and so when we come in with... With me saying I have something a little hot takey, it's me saying that Devontae Adams is probably going to underperform a little bit considering what what we expect him to do in this offense. I can't, I can't, I can't accept him being not a wide receiver one. I just think that he's going to get too much volume from that standpoint. And yeah, they're bringing in DeGuara and all that stuff, but like, I just think that he's going to. I think it's just, like even if his targets, like target or raw targets, go down, I think that his target or share, target share—that's the word I'm looking for. I think that that'll stay roughly where it's at, just because I don't think that there's going to be a ton of development or enough development to kind of put other guys like into the same stratosphere as him. And especially with Jimmy Graham gone, I think that that'll open up more like work for Devontae Adams because he can do a lot of underneath stuff. And so I think that he'll absorb a lot of Jimmy Graham's targets. So I think this is where the the next group of wide receivers comes in. Ipanema, St. Brown, Mark Roosevelt, Scantling, and I'm drawing a blank on the last. Alan Lazard. Alien alien Lizard, man. Yes, Alan Lazard. Another guy who could eat into the the red zone production of Devontae Adams. Um, You know what? Maybe I'm wrong. And Devontae Adams goes out and puts up up another all-pro worthy year. You know, certainly certainly could do that. Uh, But... When I look at this next group of guys, I do see a couple of different specialized roles here. You know, Alan Lazard is going to be that deep threat, but a different type of deep threat than what MVS will be. MVS is the guy who could take the top off the defense, and so is Alan Lazard, but in a different way. Um, and at the same time, he's going to give Aaron Rodgers another big red zone target once he develops more trust in him. I think Equinemus St. Brown can come in and take a little bit of underneath work. I think Aaron Jones takes some of the underneath work as well. Uh, and I think Jay Sternberger kind of takes over the middle. I think that that's honestly what this offense is going to be built around, is those guys specializing in those different areas of the field. Um, and I, I, I'm not saying that Devontae Adams won't have a role, because he certainly will. I just don't know if it's going to be everything. I don't know if he's going to be asked to do everything. You know, like he like he has been in the past. He'll certainly do a little bit of everything, but I don't know if he's going to be required to do everything. And so I think that that honestly could just drop his production a little bit. That's fair. I I disagree. Okay, so moving on to the other guys, I think I, okay. So you said Alan Lazard could kind of snake some of that red zone work. Do you think that like do you picture Alan Lazard as more of a downfield jump ball threat or downfield like speed? Oh, threat? jump ball, one hundred percent. Okay, so do you, 
I just feel like we never really saw him utilized as a jump ball threat last year, even when it was clear that he was the number two receiver on well, this team. Well, when you're getting when you're getting separation like he was getting, you don't need to do the jump balls downfield. But who, who's to say? Well, I'm talking specifically well, who's red to zone say, though, jump ball. Who's to say if we get into the red zone? Um, and this is year two of Alan Lazard with Aaron Rodgers, who has had nothing but high words to say about Alan Lazard. That Aaron, Aaron Rodgers doesn't start to do with Lazard what he did with Jordy Nelson. You know, hey, I'm going to trust you to make this play. Throw it to the back shoulder. You know, do whatever you can to make the play. Well, exactly what he does with Devontae Adams. Who's going to say he doesn't start doing that with, with Alan Lazard? So I think I, – I understand your point. I, I just think that when we start looking forward – to the next year of Alan Lazard and Aaron Rodgers, I do think we see that that part of the game evolved. That's fair. That's fair. I'll give you that. And so then I want to ask you a question real quick. Of those three guys, Equinemi, St. Brown, Marcos Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard, who do you like to be who do you like to be the wide receiver to and who do you think has the best chance of being wide receiver to? Uh same answer for both, Lazard. Um I think Lazard has shown the most chemistry with Rodgers thus far. I understand that EQ dealt with injury last year, and MBS was just fighting himself all season long. So um, so for me, it's it's Lazard. Uh, I, sh- I thought that he showed actual chemistry with Rodgers, which is a huge deal. Um, I felt that he, like, actually he made plays when he was on the field, and he made plays with consistency. And like you said, Rodgers has said nothing but good things to say about him. Like, all throughout camp, uh, Lazard, I see positive things about him, him, and then, uh, EQ, EQ, uh, I don't know if that's mostly just like the beat writers that are talking him up, uh, cause I feel like I've heard it more from him than I have from coaches or players, but Lazard's my one, um, and then EQ and MVS are kind of tied. I think EQ has a shot at that, like, big slot role. Um, I think MVS can still be a really good player just because you can't teach speed at his size, but, uh, I think that he's just gotta get out of his own head. And, uh, just like play the game. So, so yeah, Lazard. I think, you know, if, if I'm going to go somewhere with a wide receiver two in Green Bay, I think it's Lazard. I do think that the three of those, the, the, that those three wide receivers are basically going to encompass a wide receiver two. Um, and that's what's going to make it hard from week to week basis because I think you're going to have a week where MVS puts up 15 points and then you're going to have a week where Lazard puts up 15 points himself and then MVS puts up two. You know, I, I do believe that's what we're going to see. Um, I, I think in deep leagues, <laughs> let me preface this, deep leagues with uh, PPR settings, I think you can get, look at Equinemius St. Brown a little bit. Um, Al Nazar, I'd probably go Al Nazard, Equinemius St. Brown, and then MVS in that type of format. But when you're looking at standard, it's probably got to be Lazard because I think he's going to get the most yards and the most opportunities at touchdowns. Um, MVS is going to be in deeper formats as well. I think he's a good bench boomer bust ad, uh, a guy that you can say, Gosh, I really just need somebody to like put together like a 15 point week out of nowhere. That could be MVS. Uh, so it, it's tough though. The, the three of them really is one of the hardest things I've had to work with this offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, Lazard's been my clear two, but trying to predict just like who you need to be targeting is, is, is difficult. And it all depends on format. Like if you got a league that, um, like tracking scoring where it uh, gives you reward for like big plays. That's where I like the idea of MVS because I think that he has that big playability, like uh, that play against Oakland where he turned the corner and he was gone. 
Like he took that play 70 of the 75 yards and it was, there was nobody catching him. So I think that he's got that big playability. I just think that he um, lacks like some of the finer, like some of the finer things. And I think he is still a really raw player um, heading into year three here. So, but yeah, so I agree with you. Lazard uh, EQ for PPR versus MBS for like standard. All right, let's move on to this running back group then. Uh, do we think Aaron Jones repeats? Uh, I mean, you got you have to say no just do from a standpoint of there's like 19 touchdowns is so difficult. Like, like, and a lot of his production came from that. Not all of his production. Like some people try and make it out like, oh, if he didn't score 19 touchdowns, he would he would have been trash. No, if he scored just 10 touchdowns on the year, he still would have been an RB one just because he still put up so many yards. He was he was a decent receiver out of the backfield. So. um I have him again as I have him as like a RB nine, RB ten, so back end of the back end of the RB ones. Um, but I don't see like I don't see a path where he doesn't end up as an RB one again, just because there's so like he gets so much work, and if this offense goes as it's supposed to, he'll get plenty of work. Right, and I have him as RB seven, so I think we're on the same wavelength there. You know, a couple a touchdown here or there is going to sway those things. Uh, you know, he's definitely going to lose some of the red zone work. With AJ Dillon on the roster, the the coaching staff is still still touting Jamal Williams. They love him, and I think that the team loves him in, in general. And so, really, you're going to have a three headed monster, I think, in running back. And I don't believe we're going to get a, a repeat of the McCarthy era where it's going to be who's the running back one for the week. The running back one is Aaron Jones. That is not a question. He's going to get production. It's just going to be less than last year. I I, I am 100 percent willing to bet on that. Being, it's being less than last year because, like you said, 19 touchdowns is incredibly hard to reproduce, and especially when you start to look at some of the moves that the team made. It's clear that they want to spread out the work a little bit more than what they did last year. They kind of ran Aaron Jones into the ground, and thankfully he was able to stay healthy, which was one of his biggest concerns last year. But he was able to stay healthy, and and, and really he put up the he put up the numbers that we thought he could under McCarthy. And so I think he does. I think he's still going to be an RB one, uh, an RB one lock this year. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of the touchdown production. I don't know if you're going to get as many boom weeks from him as we've gotten uh, as we got last year. If he doesn't give me a boom week, but he gives me a consistent production week, I'm not going to complain about it. Like if he puts up 15 rather than putting up 30, like so if he puts up 15 in two weeks rather than putting up 30 in one week and then two in another, I'm okay with that. I I will live with him giving me consistent production on a weekly basis because I, I can I can ski around a consistent producer better than I can scheme around a boom bust producer. I completely agree. And, you know, to be fair, in any roster construction, you need a little bit of both. You need guys who you can plug in every week and know what you're getting. Yeah. And then you also, you like the Michael Thomas, the James Whites. And then you also need the guys that are going to give you, like I was talking about earlier with MBS, it really depends on the type of roster you're building. You know, it, you need those guys who can come in and just give you 15 points in your flex for one week. So it really depends on what you're doing. Um, so who's going to be the RB2 in Green Bay this year? And I, I don't mean RB2 from snaps-wise. I mean RB2 production-wise. I, I think I have to lean Dylan personally. But the thing is, you have to. the thing you have to know about Dylan, he's not going to get production right away. He They brought him in to be the hammer in November and December. They brought him in to be that late-season grinder. Um, and honestly... Fantasy-wise, it's going to be frustrating because you, he's probably unrosterable for the most part for the first six or so weeks. But then when you get into that late part of the season, I'm definitely stashing A.J. Dillon for my playoff run. I think Jamal Williams is going to be uh, 
fantasy RB2. Um, I think A.J. Dillon will be, like, will be the clear guy after this year just because, like, I understand that they talked about extending Aaron Jones, but you don't pay running backs. Running backs are expensive. The Packers already have a clogged up cap sheet, so that'll be interesting to see how they pull that off. But I think it's still going to be Jamal Williams. Uh, Jamal Williams gets the passing down work. Um, he is, we've, ever since he came into the league, we've raved about his pass blocking ability for a running back. Um, and with a quarterback like Rodgers, who is still good at escaping and performing some magic, it's nice to have a running back that can come onto the field and he can serve as like your sixth offensive lineman just because he's that damn good of a blocker. Um, I think, so I think that he'll get passing down work as a result of that. I also think that he, like we've seen good production out of him. It's not like he's, it's not like he's been a bad player when he's been on the field. He's just, he's behind a better guy in Aaron Jones. And Jamal Williams is basically what, like, he's been, since he came into the league, he's been exactly as advertised. He's a more of a straight line guy than a side to side guy. He's a decent pass catcher. He's not, he's not James White. He's not Christian McCaffrey. He's not Aaron Jones, but he's a good pass catcher. They've got exactly what they want out of what they expected to get out of him. And, uh, I think that he is, He's going to continue to be RB2 this year. I don't think he comes back next year just because I think that they're going to have too many other people to pay. So I think that he'll be out as a, like, because of that. But other than, but I think that he's got no, like, AJ Dillon will get touches. I just don't think he'll get as many touches as, um, as Jamal will. It's kind of similar to the New York Giants from, like, the turn of the decade where it was, they had the earth, wind, and fire, like the Brandon Jacobs, Ahmad Bradshaw, and then, whoever the third guy was. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like Brandon Jacobs was your big power guy. Um, and then you had Ahmad Bradshaw who could kind of do it all. And then I can't remember the third guy, but the third guy was like a pure slasher type. So I think that's what you'll have, but it'll still be Jones one, Williams two, Dylan three. I, I, I definitely think there's a place or there's an argument to be had for Jamal Williams to be the RB two. Um, to be fair, most of my AJ Dillon value is coming from touchdowns. I that's really about it. I mean, if he's getting a couple catches a game, uh, you know, 30 to 40 yards and a touchdown, you're looking at 10-point weeks. I think that's really your ceiling for A.J. Dillon. But I think he's a good depth add towards the end of the year. Uh, I do think that that's what they brought him in for, and I believe that that's the role that he will see this year. Uh, so Jamal Williams, I, he's basically free right now. Like, A.J. Dillon, if you're going to do a fantasy draft right now, you're going to have to draft him. Um you would basically be able to get Jamal Williams for free afterwards. So it, that's part of the decision to make. If you have Aaron Jones and you really want to make that decision um, as to who who's going to be the backup, who you, you think is Jamal Williams is the guy you'd probably go with as the backup behind Aaron Jones then? Yeah, I do. Um, I think that just Jamal's a veteran, and I think he's had more time to work in this offense, and I think he knows what he's doing. It, not that I'm not saying Dylan doesn't. I just think that um, – the veteran like running back room will get more work and Dylan will, like you said, Dylan will probably take on an additional workload late in the season. And when he can just beat down on guys that are cold and don't want to hit him, but I still think it's uh, the same rotation we've seen. And then uh, Dylan is the third. Okay. So let's move on to tight ends. What is the realistic upside for Jay Sternberger, who we're going to assume would be the the leading receiving tight end for this offense? So as you've seen um, over the last few years, tight so tight end has continued to dwindle in importance. Um, 
Um, there's the top few guys like Kelsey, Ertz, Kittle. Mark Andrews is kind of there because he catches a lot of touchdowns. Evan Engram, if he could stay on the field, would be in that conversation. But then it really starts, like, the value on him starts to really dwindle. People stop drafting him as highly. They're like, I'll just wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. Like, I know me, I consistently punt on the tight end position unless I'm playing in a league that makes it to where it's, like, two points for tight end reception. So I think that Jace has a realistic ceiling of around tight end 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. Like, if Rodgers is able to develop a connection with him like he had with Jermichael Finley, I think that he could be in that mold again. He's got that seam tight end type. He's really athletic, uh, got good size on him. Uh, so I think that that's roughly where his ceiling is. I just, I see it, it's a hard path for him to kind of break into that top 12 at the position just because you don't really know who the top 12 are going to be. Like Gronk came out of retirement and he's projected as like tight end four for most people for some bizarre reason considering he hasn't played football in (laughs) in two years. But I didn't rank him that highly. Anyway, um, so I think Jace's realistic ceiling is like a high end, tight end two. Um, and if, him and Rodgers get a really good connection going, he could be a low-end tight end one just because the position is such a crapshoot. Like, tight end 6 through 12 is such a – you're guessing. You're throwing darts. Like, there's names that we know, but you don't know who's going to show up on a week-to-week basis. So I put him somewhere in that range. Like, tight end 13 to 15 is roughly where I'd have him uh, with an absolute ceiling of, like, tight end 10. So. I, I would argue that there's eight tight ends, maybe even nine. That I'm like, okay, those guys are gonna be good. They're gonna they're gonna produce this year. Um, but then, really, like, that we're grasping or uh, we're uh, splitting hairs. Splitting Regression. hairs. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah. When when we get when we okay, get to this point, we're splitting hairs. You know, when you get around tight end ten, the that's where it really does start to get murky. So back end tight end one is wide open. It is every year. There's always a guy who sneaks into that role. Uh, who's Mark Andrews yeah. last year? Well, uh, I, I was gonna say it didn't sneak in for me, but. Uh, but anyway, the point is there's always a guy who kind of overproduces a little bit and sneaks into that, that back end tight end, uh, back end tight end one role. Um, I have Jace as a tight end 20 in my rankings right now. However, I do think that there's a realistic path for him to definitely become a, a, a high end tight end two and a low end tight end one. So in that, anywhere in that 10 to 15 range, I think is where he could finish this year realistically. Um, where I think he actually finishes is around that tight end 20 range. Uh, as a mid, middle of the road tight end two, I think is where he realistically finishes. Yeah, the path, the path is there. Like the path to him being fantasy relevant absolutely exists. I just, I don't. I don't have a ton of faith in it happening. And it's just, with me, I'm trying to be optimistic with uh, Jace. I liked getting him in the third round. I don't always like the Packer drafts just because they don't always adhere to the board that I come up with. But I liked getting him in the third round there. I thought that that was really good value. Um, and I think it's just a matter of... There's just guys ahead of him with more upside. Can he become everything he's supposed to be? Tight ends take time to develop. I get that. So uh, I was So if he can become what I thought he can become, he can be that low-end tight end guy. And if you're in a draft and you're like, okay, I have a good tight end, like you were aggressive and you got George Kittle really early and you want to have a late-round tight end just because you do, Jace isn't the worst option. And, you know, the the reason that he got, he kind of gets pushed down the road a little bit is because there are guys ahead of him. You mentioned that the tight end position takes time to, to time to develop, excuse me. You know, there's guys ahead of him who have been in the league for a couple years who have had opportunities during those times. And so you have guys like Mike Kosicki, Ian Thomas, Dawson Knox, uh, Hayden Hurst, Noah Fant, Johnny Smith. Those are guys who are primed for a breakout this year. 
and, and they're still in the middle of the road in terms of what you're looking for in, uh, in a tight end. They're middle road, middle of the road tight end twos this year as well. So there's just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the middle of that tight end group. Uh, really, if you're not drafting anybody that's not named Kelsey Kittle, Andrews, Ertz, Waller, Henry, or Ingram, even Hooper maybe, and Hawkinson maybe. Outside of that group, it's a crapshoot. So it's... Um, you have Hawkinson in that conversation I already? Hawkinson, no, he's not. I actually have him as a middle-of-the-road tight end, too. But I do think okay. I thought you had him in the conversation with like those Engrams and those guys. I was like, there is no way. But no, he's not up there yet. But I do think that I do think that the only reason we're a little bit lower on Hawkinson is because he got he was suffering from that injury last year. And so if you know what what is our perspective on him if he was healthy all year, he was still a top you know still a top draft pick. And and honestly, I, Stafford was targeting him early in the season. I don't know. I, I, that was also against Arizona, who was, like, historically bad against tight ends last year. That's true. Before we knew that. Like, Arizona gave up, like, du- like 100-plus points more to the tight end position than anybody else in the NFL. They were historically bad. And so the reason I included him with that original group is I think that he has an absolute 100% lock on the tight end job. There's absolutely no questions that, you know, I think that's the only reason why. Um, so, other than that... Um, I don't have any other questions about tight end, honestly. I think tight end's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward as to who's going to bring value. Um, one quick news thing that I kind of forgot about earlier when we were prepping was uh, Rick Wagner was back at practice mm. today. I don't know if you saw that. I did not see that, so that's good. Yeah, no, he was back. He's got a weird um, arm thing on his left arm. Like, it's a contraction, I believe is what Rob Nowowski <laughs> called it. Um, as, as I've said every time I've been on this podcast – Rick Wagner needs to be the starting right tackle. Um, and if he's not the starting right tackle, then Green Bay just wasted um, the offseason by not resigning Brian Bulaga and wasting money on Rick Wagner. But that's just me. So I was glad to see him back at practice today. And I know he's in competition for the position, so I'm hoping he can win it. Uh, I'm hoping he can perform well. So I wanted to at least bring that up. I think that he, he needs to be the right tackle for this year. Um, I think he's a good player. And I think that he makes life a lot easier on everybody. Nothing against Lane Taylor. I don't think Lane Taylor's built to be a tackle. Like, that's Billy Turner needs to be the right tackle, and Billy Turner already struggled at guard last year. So um, hopefully Wagner can come in, stabilize that. Turner can be stable at right guard, and uh, that makes life easier on Rodgers as well as on all of the uh, the rest of the offensive line and on the running backs as well. Because then I think that if you have, like, a better offensive line, that actually opens up snaps to your your A.J. Dillon theory. Because the better offensive line that can get him more ability to get ahead of steam going. Yeah. No, exactly. So the if the offensive line is, is healthy again this year, um, and if Lane Taylor is truly playing with a chip on his shoulder, like, like some of the reports out of camp have said, the offensive line could be, again, a top-five unit, top-ten unit. So, um Let's let's move on to defense. So, uh, first off, I'm just going to preface this with I don't play defense really at all anymore. I used to, but it is still a pretty big uh, thing in the fantasy community is to play with defenses on a weekly basis. Uh, kickers as well, who we'll cover here in a second. Um, I have Green Bay coming into the season as the 13th best option at defense. Now, I have talked passionately on this podcast about how the Packers could be a top five unit. Um, 
the reason they're so they're much lower on my list in ter- of fantasy defenses is because they were a little bit boom bust last year. So if they can clean up some of those consistency issues, um, then Green Bay should be a top ten defense for sure to have in fantasy. Uh, but right now they are a top notch uh, defense too. I agree. I agree. Um, I think that like you calling them boom bust is really accurate. Uh, they had weeks where they could be absolutely lights out, and then they had weeks like against San Francisco and. Um, let's see, who are their, who are their other, like, losses last year? San Francisco and... You made me pull up this calendar. Who did Green Bay lose to last uh, year? Hold on. Because they sweat the division. Uh, of course. Uh, let's see here. My memory is crap, so... They beat the Chiefs. They beat Denver. They lost to the Chargers because they got beat by... Eagles. Eagles, so they got beat by three teams. They lost to the Chargers who were able to run the ball really effectively against them. They lost to the Eagles and the 49ers. All three of those teams had really good run games. Green Bay thinks that they may have done some stuff to kind of remedy that this offseason. Um, I, 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 hey, <laughs> I didn't say I agreed with them. I said that that's what they said. They said yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't really know how much like upgrade they've made on defense. So that could be um, interesting to see if they can like actually slow down the run game better this year and force teams to throw. Their pass defense is really good. Like there's a lot of like on the back end. Um, we talked about Josh Jackson, Jair Alexander, and Kevin King. If they if that's your starting trio of corners, that's a pretty damn good group if they're all playing well. Um, they can uh, Kevin King's a ball hawk, especially in the red zone. Uh, Jair is he's gonna start coming down with more picks, man. He's he gets his hand on a lot of balls. Uh, Josh Jackson's got length for days. He in at Iowa was just getting his hand on everything. So I really like that trio. Uh, Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos are really smart players. They can get they can get in, make plays on the ball. Um, so and then the pass rush, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, Z, uh, Big Z, uh, Rashawn Gary has been getting rave reviews all off season. Um, like I know I've seen it. Uh, there was the whole uh, Mike Smith kept saying that. Rashawn was asking I on his day off. He's like, what can I work on? What can I get better on? And I love seeing that. I love seeing guys that are hungry to get better. So this defense has, especially from a sack perspective, has high potential. Like they could just be, they could be like Pittsburgh was last year. Pittsburgh wasn't, Pittsburgh wasn't great at stopping the run, but they were good enough to force teams to throw. And there's, and then their pass rushers were just, they had horses everywhere. So I think Green Bay, like you said, has top five potential. It's just a matter of can the run, if the run defense holds up, this should be a elite defense. If the run game holds up or if the run defense holds up, that's all that, that's all that separates them from being a defense one and a defense two. Completely agree. And so, uh, don't know if there's much else to talk about here, uh, but for just for reference, I do have Pittsburgh as my defense six. So if you know you're trying to take what Gage was saying and kind of relate it a little bit, I've got Pittsburgh pretty highly this year. He's behind the likes of San Francisco, Baltimore, Rams, New England, Buffalo. So you have Rams that yes, high. Yes, I do have Rams pretty high this year. They have a very favorable schedule. So. Uh, Okay, that's why I was like, I was like, I feel like they are a really thin team. Oh, that's so why. I'm, I'm that's why that's, that's, but unfortunately, I'm not evaluating depth here. I'm just evaluating. Hey, this is the defense. This is how they performed last year, and this is what they're looking at in 2020. So, Fair but enough. um, but yeah. So, Green Bay defense two, hopefully defense uh, top five, top five defense going into 2021. So let's move on to kickers. 
Um, you know, I think Mason Crosby is just one of the best options. He's been one of the best options at kicker for many years now. He's, he's still one of the best options at kicker. The only thing he's really got working against him is that he kicks outside in the cold in December. So that's really his biggest, biggest flaw. He's very consistent. He's got a, he's got a good leg. He can make long distance kicks. He's my, he is my kicker four. So, um, I, for those that don't know, I write for Roto Baller, and for the last two years, and likely going again this year, uh, I rank kickers on a weekly basis. I go through literally every single matchup, and I rank the top, how many kickers do I cover? I cover the top, like, 16, so that way you can, I think that's how many I cover. I cover, like, the top 16, and then I give you, like, three guys to avoid. And I have never had Mason Crosby, other than, like, I think a cold stretch he had last year, the year before, no, it was last year, it was after the Detroit game. Um, I, I never have him outside of my top 10 at the position, uh, on a weekly basis. He is, I don't, I don't care that he kicks outside. This dude has been banging field goals from 50 yards in 10 degree weather for 10, for 10 years. And I have no doubts that he's going to continue to do that. Yeah. It sucks late in the year when, uh, somebody else has got Will Lutz from New Orleans as their kicker, but I stream kickers anyway. And anytime I see Mason Crosby as the guy out on the waiver wire, 90% of the time he's the one I'm going to get. Unless there's a truly better option out there, that's the guy I'm going with. I, he's consistent. He's a veteran. Uh, you, like icing him is impossible because it's already frozen outside. Um, so I think I have him, I haven't officially done my like yearly rankings for kickers yet. Uh, I should probably get on that, but he, he'd be a, he'll be a top five kicker for me again. Um, he'll be a consistent weekly streaming option. He may never be the guy that puts up 18 in a week. Like we've seen other kickers do for worse teams in the past, just because green Bay is so efficient in the red zone. Um, but he generally puts up at least eight to 10 points and out of your kicker, you don't want 18 points. You don't, you just, you don't want 18. You just don't want zero. That's the key. As long as you get a guy that gets you more than zero 10, points in a 10 week. is perfectly fine. Like I'm good with getting. If I can get ten, yeah. I am thrilled. Yeah. But I would, I, I was like, if I can get five, I will take five. It's just don't give me a goose egg. That's yeah. all I want. No, I completely agree. And you know, let's let's use this opportunity to talk about roster construction and fantasy for a moment. Unless you were unless you were required to draft a kicker in your draft, you don't have to draft a kicker. Like Gage said, you can stream the position so easily, and now you have a resource that you know about where you can go each week to find the best kicker to stream. Uh, if you don't know what streaming is, it basically means from week to week you have a different player starting in that position. So uh, you don't have to waste a draft pick on a Harrison Bucker, a Justin Tucker, a Will Lutz, a Josh Lambeau. You don't have to waste a kick, uh, pick on those guys because there are just so many options, and from week to week it's so variable. It, it, there's just no good way to attack the position on a weekly basis. Um, so, with that being said, Mason Crosby, my kicker four, you should still stream the position um, and, and really play the waiver wire each week. So, do you have any other things you want to cover fantasy-wise, Gage? Um, like you said, don't draft a kicker or a defense if you don't have to, but if you do have to, wait until the final two rounds. If you draft them any sooner than that, you're throwing away value. Um, if you ever have any questions about fantasy, I'm sure Tyler's the same way. You can message me you can at me on Twitter at GBritchfordNFL. I answer every single DM, even if you're telling me to f off or whatever, saying I gave you bad advice the week before. I still answer it. Um, I have multiple people that I like. I have one guy that I've been helping him play fantasy for the last three years. Um, he sends me we, he sends me questions all throughout the week. I answer every single one of them. 
Um, I am always willing to answer yours. Uh, I do still work um, 40 hours a week, so I'm so if I don't always answer during the day, I will definitely get back to you before um, like before lineups lock and everything um, on Sunday mornings night from 9 a.m. to 1 or 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. This is all EST. I am answering questions the entire time on my Twitter. Um, and if you ever have any questions about fantasy or Green Bay or anything, feel free to let me know. I will answer literally every DM you send me. So yeah, I'm I'm also pretty engaged in that in that regard. Uh, just to kind of quickly go over, uh, if you do want to find out more about what I'm talking about or see it kind of put more into a written perspective, uh, on Wednesdays you'll be able to find my rankings uh, for. Quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, defense kicker, um, all on Game on Wisconsin. Um, and then you'll be able to find my quarterback sit start uh, for Dynasty Nord, Dynasty Nerds, excuse me. Nords. Nords. Dynasty nice. Nerds uh, later that week. It usually be a Thursday or a Friday release for the sit start for quarterbacks for the week. Um, and then on top of that, on Sundays for both Dynasty Nerds and Game on Wisconsin, I will be part of a live Q&A for sit start in the morning. So uh, please, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out uh, to either one of us. Uh, we would love to help you. Uh, we, we love doing what we're doing, and we love talking about it. So um, if you don't have anything else, Gage, we can, uh, we can let everybody else go. Uh, yeah, I think we're good to let everybody go. Um, like I said, follow me on Twitter, at GBridgefordNFL. Uh, I'm putting out content there constantly in the thick of fantasy season, so I'm generally writing two or three plus articles a week right now and during the season. I think I'll I think I have a schedule to do like one article every day, so I'm gonna be pretty busy, but um I'll answer every DM you send me. Um answer any questions you may have. Uh and no question is a dumb question. Um I know some people are like, hey this sounds like a dumb question. I get that a lot. It's no no such thing as a dumb question. I it doesn't matter if you've been playing for ten years. I have been playing fantasy football for twelve years and I still ask um I have a buddy that I ask any of my questions I'm just like I don't know man I bounce it off of him so if you need someone like that let me know all right um so as always you can find the podcast on uh on iTunes Stitcher wherever else you listen to your podcast please jump on there and like rate and subscribe so you're not missing a single episode and then also letting us know how we're doing so we can get better at our jobs um this has been episode 768 Please tune in to uh, Monday's episode with Andy, and I believe it's not Ben Fennel week. It's the opposite of Ben Fennel, so uh, it should be Perry and Alex. But be sure to tune in to them on Monday. It should be a good episode as well. But until then, uh, stay safe and go Pack Go.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.